Well, we've been in this series on the Holy Spirit. I heard Pastor Rob did a great job last Sunday. Is that true? I hear he did. He talked about the advocate, right? The role of the Holy Spirit as our advocate, someone who comes alongside us, who's our helper, who's our counselor. And uh, we're, we're in John 14, 15, and 16, kind of a uh, big anchor point of this series, because we want to look at what did Jesus have to say about the role and the work of the Holy Spirit. And I want to build off of where Rob left off last week, and kind of in, in John 16 we're going to be, and it's, if I had to subtitle the series, I would call it the Holy Spirit, Good to Great, because it's this amazing declaration that Jesus made, and uh, check it out, John 16, verse 7 Here's what Jesus said, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I think this is Jesus' good to great statement when it talks about the Holy Spirit. As good as it was that Jesus was physically present, and how often do we say in our lives, if I could just have Jesus like physically come alongside me and physically look me in the eye and physically direct me on what to do with this decision and where do I go with this, if Jesus could just walk right up to me just like he did with those disciples and put his hand on my shirt collar and say, go this way, how many times have we, I myself, I would have loved that, right? And think how great would it have been to walk with him, to eat supper with him, to watch him, work and move amongst people and handle difficult situations? How did he handle the person that was easy to love? How did he handle the person who was really hard to love? Jesus said as good as it was that he was physically present, here's his statement, it's going to be even better when he exits. And you could understand the disciples would not be feeling that at all. The last thing we would want of Jesus, you're here with us, why would you exit? And he calls it better. And the link is because it's better when he physically exits because when he physically exits, the spirit enters. Acts chapter one, Jesus ascends to the heaven, his exit. Acts chapter two, day of Pentecost, spirit is poured out. So the companionship. Here's an interesting thing that followers of Jesus say, that we have personal companionship with the resurrected Christ, each of us, around 2 billion on the planet now and around 190 nations. How can Petula Myers in the middle of Sarajevo, Bosnia this morning, worshiping, have personal companionship with the resurrected Christ? Simultaneous with a few hundred of us here in Whitestown, Indiana, have personal companionship with the resurrected Christ. That is possible through the Holy Spirit because Jesus could only be in his physical body in one place at one time. If he was in Bethany, Dealing with ministry in Bethany, he couldn't be at the home of Mary and Martha dealing with Mary and Martha's situation. He could be in one spot at one time in his physical body. And it was a good thing when he was with someone in his physical body. But he said it's even better. It's a great thing when I exit because when I exit, the spirit enters. And now he's able to be in multiple places with multiple people as simultaneously and multiple times. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit. And so that's why we're looking at what's the, the work. And the, today we're going to look at what's the compelling work of the Spirit. I want you to follow what Jesus says here in verse 8 through 11, kind of be our anchor point this morning. When he comes, speaking about the counselor, the advocate, the Spirit, he will convict the, convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. There's your three-point outline for the morning, sin, righteousness, and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. 
So if you have your Bibles there, I want you to circle the word convict, or I put it in your notes, what it means in the original Greek. It's the word elanko, elanko. It means this, to convince with solid and compelling evidence. Today I want to talk about three areas where the Spirit convinces with solid and compelling evidence. Think of it as kind of that compelling, convincing work, convicting work of the Spirit that Jesus said that's his role. So we grew up, my brother and I, in a house that was built on a steep hill. And that meant the garage, the way the house was built, the house was built so the garage was under the home. Anybody build in one of those homes where the garage was under the home? So our driveway went down into the garage, kind of a unique setup. And the garage floor, it was poured smooth. In other words, they didn't rough up the concrete when they poured it. Which for young boys growing up, wanting to race different kinds of equipment, was a beautiful racetrack setup, especially if you wet that floor down. Anybody with me here? This is just another story of Simpson boyhood mischief that for 24 years around here, you've gotten to know really well. And my mom is in the house today, so my mom gets to relive these kinds of moments. Do you guys remember the Sunday years and years ago, my mom was here visiting and I told some boyhood mischief story. And it was one of those stories that I failed to remember why I was telling it, but I don't think I ever really clued mom in on this one. It was the fire story when we almost ignited the deck on fire and all these other things with gasoline and spark rocks. And we were, I was telling this whole story and mom was here that Sunday and the, we, the communication cards, you know, you guys all fill them out each week. And there was a communication card that landed in the offering basket, and eventually landed on my desk. And it was a handwritten note for my mom that day. She had gotten in her car and headed back to Iowa to her home, and I came in the office on Tuesday morning, and there's a card on my desk, and it says, Eric, you're grounded. I'll deal with your brother when I get home. Love, mom. You remember that, mom? She fell out. It's like, I saved that communication card. That's what, I don't know if I'm going to get a year grounded one on this one or not. But anyway, so here was the deal. We had this, we had this, we had this bicycle track. We had this big wheel track. And it went down into the garage. And when mom and dad were away, we kind of slicked the track up. We'd wet this concrete down and we'd invite the neighborhood boys over and it was on. It was race time, Simpson Raceway, 9th Avenue, let's go. And over the course of time, that just beat the daylights out of the walls of the garage. Can you, anybody feel like the garage walls just got hammered because of this? So my dad decided he was going to shut the Simpson Raceway down by drywalling the garage. So he took my brother and I down to the garage one day when the project was near completion. Taped, mudded, fresh coat of paint. I said, Brad, Eric, notice the walls of the garage. They look nice, Dad. Really, really nice. I would like them to stay that way. Yes, Father. Yes, yes. I don't know how long it had been. In my mind, it was several months. I'm sure it was a couple of weeks. But... They took off somewhere, and it was my brother and I home, and it was Simpson Raceway kind of weather. I, this is awesome. I think it was my idea. Brad, get the hose. Let's wet that floor down. He's like, uh. I go, hey, let's just, we'll just try to stay off the walls. We'll just stay off the walls. It'll be good. They won't even know. It'll dry up before they get home. Wetted it down, invited the neighborhood kids over. And I can't remember if it was my brother or I. I'm going to blame it on my brother because he's not here. So there was this time we were going way too fast down into the garage. The floor was way too slick. And he was in one of those like, you know, the green machines. Anybody remember the green machines that had the old 
You steer and the back wheels spun around like that. Am I dating myself with this? Some of you younger ones in here are like, what are you doing, Simpson? Green machine sliding down. And he took the green machine's front wheel and he planted it squarely whole in the brand new drywall. I mean, boom, just like you couldn't have, just boom. So we put our heads together really quick. Shut the Simpson Raceway down for the day. I, being the older brother, came up with this wonderful idea. I said, Brett, there's a big box of something over here. Let's just slide that box. And it was just about the right height, covered over the hole. We felt really good about it. Mom and dad came home. It didn't take dad long, though. He's like, that box, that box wasn't there when they left. (laughs) Sure enough, dad slides the box over, takes a look at our work of art, calls immediately Brad Allen and Eric Scott. Anybody grow up in a household when the middle names were involved? It was not a complimentary conversation about to occur. Brad Allen, Eric Scott, to the garage. To the garage we go. My adrenaline started to pick up about now. As I'm headed down the steps, I'm thinking, uh... I get down the steps. Dad has the green machine in one hand. He's standing with the box slid away from the hole. He asked my brother and I to walk over here. He says, would either of you like to give an explanation for this? He took the green machine and he set the wheel of the green machine perfectly in the hole. That moment for my brother and I was an elango, a convincing, compelling work with evidence. It was a moment of elongo in our young lives where busted, guilty as charged, couldn't escape that one, had data, had evidence. And this is a picture of what Jesus is saying, one of the roles and the works of the Holy Spirit is to bring a a level of compelling evidence to our lives in three areas. And I put it in your notes. The first one is in the area of sin. And you notice what he says in verse nine in regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. This is Jesus speaking. So I put the specific Elanco work of the spirit here is this failing to believe Jesus is who he said he was. When you begin a journey in the spiritual life, do you realize that it's the role of the Spirit to not let us get neutral with Jesus? Some of you are on that journey right now. Some of you, maybe a friend has recently invited you, or maybe you're recently a new member, maybe you recently got baptized, or you're just kind of beginning your spiritual journey. And I want to put some terms and some context to what you're experiencing. Some of you maybe grew up with a certain view or picture of Jesus. And maybe you've been coming, hanging around here. Maybe you've gotten around some other groups of people and something's going on on the inside of your life. And here's what it's centered on. It's the compelling work of the spirit to press the reality of who Jesus is on your life. And the spirit won't let you shake it. Malcolm Muggeridge called it the hound of heaven. When the hound catches your scent, he will track you down. And for some of you, the hound of heaven has recently caught your scent 
and he's on your case and he's tracking you down. And you're like, you can't quite figure out what's going on inside here. But here's one of the things going on is the spirit is doing a work of elanco in your heart about the reality of who you've concluded Jesus is. The core question is one question he asked Peter. Who do you say that I am? Not who do you say, not who do your parents say Jesus is, not who your pastor says Jesus is, not who your spouse says Jesus is, not who your close friends say Jesus is. Who do you say Jesus is? That's a work of the Spirit in our lives to keep working it over till we get to the point where there's this personal kind of face-to-face defining moment, who do you say Jesus is? And to believe in something is to act as if it were so. When you came in this morning, you believed the blue chair would hold you up. So you sat down in the blue chair. You acted as if the chair would uphold you, so you sat on it. Now, what you follow me here, what you run into when you believe in something that's not true, follow me, when you, what you run into when you believe in something that's not true, that you run into is reality. Reality pushes back against you when you go against the grain of what's true. So you can believe with all of your heart. Five plus five equals eight. And you can go to Meyer and you can get two items that are marked $5 each. And you can believe with all of your heart and you pull $8 out of your pocket and you go up to the checkout counter. What you run into with the cashier is reality. When they ring up, five plus five equals 10 and you roll eight out on the counter, it's not gonna work. What did you run into there? You re- reality pushes back against you when you're living with something that's not true. It's the work of the spirit to keep pressing us beyond some of our inadequate conclusions about Jesus, bottom, just false, inaccurate conclusions, messed up, baggage, background, all kinds of stuff. You know, there's all kinds of conversations about Jesus that go on in our world. And how do we sort through who is the really the true Jesus? Who is he? Who do you say that he is? And this is a key part of why we keep our nose in this God-breathed book, especially in the words in red, make sure we know who Jesus is as revealed here. And then it's a combination of the word and the spirit. The spirit keeps pressing our lives and keeping us off the beaten path. Like, don't go over it. That's not who Jesus is. Who's Jesus? Who do you say that he is? And he keeps pressing, keeps pressing, keeps pressing. Because Jesus was born in a town of Nazareth 2,000 years ago. He was raised in a carpenter shop under Joseph and Mary's parental leadership. He hung out with the neighborhood boys. Around the age of 30, he went off to kind of have more of a public, quote, ministry where he became more of a spiritual leader, a spiritual teacher. He did miracles of healings and all kinds of diseases and raised people from the dead and So Jesus got to the point where the religious leaders just were convinced that he was not who he said he was. So they sentenced him to death and they crucified him. And he was laid in a tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And that tomb was sealed by Roman guards. And that Jesus rolled out the stone and walked out of the tomb. That's just historical fact. You don't have to be a Christian to believe that. That's just reality. And hear me now, what you run into when you're not living in step with that reality, that's what you, it's pushing back against you. And do you see the gift of grace of God in this? I'm so grateful for the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, so if I go off the 
leave, go off the reservation, say, I'm just gonna turn away from who Jesus is. I'm gonna either run from him, deny him, ignore him. Do you notice how the spirit won't leave you to that? And that's a testimony some of you have sitting in this blue chair. You tried to exit the reservation and you found out the farther you ran, guess who was there? God was still there. That's what David said in Psalm 139. Where can I flee from your presence? Nowhere. Where can I run? It's an interesting game we play with God, isn't it? I'm going I'm to hide from you. I'm going to kind of not talk to you about this. I'm a, it's just a, how do we think like, I'm, not gonna have, I'm just going to ignore God for a little while. I'm not going to have a conversation with him. An ever-present, all-knowing God. You can't escape it. And it's a gift that God gives of grace where he keeps pursuing and pressing and coming after your heart. And it's centered on this. Who do you say Jesus is? That, in my opinion, is the most important question will any of us will answer in our lives. I think that's the question all other questions sit in the shadow of. Who do you say Jesus is? More hangs in the balance of that question than any other. And it's the role of the Holy Spirit to bring an elanco work in the heart, a compelling with evidence, a convicting work that says, look at this. And I wanna encourage you, those of you on a journey and you're not quite sure your conclusion about Jesus, do the hard work, press yourself. Don't settle for what other people say. Don't even settle for what I'm saying about it. You, go on the search, go on the journey. Open up this book, get your hands on the right resources and come to a conclusion. Who do you say Jesus of Nazareth is? That's the most important journey you're ever gonna go on. And here's the amazing thing. You won't go on it alone. The Holy Spirit's gonna be one to walk alongside you and help you and guide you and lead you. That's what Rob was talking about last week. The advocate, revealing the truths, guiding and directing, counseling. So that's one work of the Spirit from verse nine. Now verse 10, third area or second area of a compelling work of the Spirit is in righteousness. So he says, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Righteousness, verse 10. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. So there's this exposing work to the emptiness of the world's ways. You realize everybody has to learn how to live from somebody. Righteousness is the kind of the Bible word, the theological term for right living. Living with God's approval, living with God's blessing, living the way God intended. Whatever phrase you want to put, that's what, when you read in the Bible, righteousness, just think right living. And the question we have to ask ourselves, who's going to teach you about right living? Well, of course, your parents are involved. Hopefully, local church leaders are involved. Aren't you grateful for pastors like Rob and Ian and others who oversee our next generation ministries, who pour their hearts and souls out to help our kids and grandkids grow up with a right view of who Jesus is? And so everybody's different roles involved in this. But, you know, even the best of parents in this world, we're not going to get it right all the time. Parents are going to fumble it. Just keep parenting for a while. If, if you, you know, you'll figure that out. And the kids know it before we do, mom and dad. They know we're far from perfect. And that's why I think the better picture you get in the New Testament is you, to become a Christian is you enter Jesus' school of living. And you say, Jesus, teach me how to live. When Jesus came to the earth and lived in Nazareth and grew up as a carpenter, interacted with people, you know one of the most important pictures God gave of that whole experience was he was telling humanity, this is what a person fully alive to God looks like. This is what it means to live with human flesh and bone, interacting with difficult people, confusing people, hard situations, family messes, all the drama around with just life. Jesus lived through all that stuff. 
and then you get to see how do you live through it rightly. And what happened when Jesus was living is people who hung out around him, there was an elonco work pressed on their heart. They got convicted. How did they get convicted? Because they watched how Jesus treated the woman who was caught in adultery. And they remembered how they had been raised with stones to sling them at her. And they watched Jesus kneel down with grace and love and tenderness, say, hey, I want you to leave your life of sin too, but I'm not gonna do it under condemnation. I'm gonna do it with grace. And he turned to the crowd, hey, those of you without sin, cast your first stone. And they all dropped their stone. And people walked away and what happened? They went home that night. What was stirring in their elonco work of the spirit? They're like, wait, righteousness? I thought that was the right way to handle someone caught in adultery. And Jesus' life was bringing other things. So he'd walk into the temple area and they're selling doves and pigeons and all these other things and making money out in the temple courts. And he flips the tables of the temple over. What's going on there with the money changers? Righteousness. He was right living. Say, hey, you've turned all this house of prayer into uh, Wall Street. Wall Street out, house of prayer in. Righteousness, right living. But again, they thought they had the right living. Do you see what happens to us sometimes? We, we kind of think this is the right living. We think this is life's, uh, that a God approves. And what's the important thing is let's let Jesus be our master teacher and say, hey, Jesus, teach me how to live. And when Jesus was physically on the earth, that's what he did. So now follow me. When he exits, what's he say the primary mechanism now that he keeps that right living, right choices, right decisions? How does he keep that pressed on our hearts? Holy Spirit. When he exits, Spirit enters, and now Jesus is able to be personal companionship presence with you, with your family, with your career decisions, with your health challenges, with your financial pressures, with whatever parenting challenges you face. You realize it's the Spirit who's with you. Jesus is with you in that. And what does he train you to do? He says, hey, you don't have to go the world's way. Go my way. I'll teach you how to do this. I'll teach you how to raise kids. I'll teach you how to grow a business. I'll teach you how to treat employees. I'll teach you how to do ministry. I'll teach you how to love a spouse that's difficult to love. I'll teach you how to care for a dying parent. That's Jesus. That's what it means to follow him. And what's the role? The elonco work of the spirit presses that right living in upon us. Are you tracking with me? So there's this picture, right? The elonco work of the spirit with sin, specifically related to what do we believe about Jesus? If we've got some false beliefs, some just some baggage from the past we've got to kind of work through. We need to unlearn some things to learn the right things. The Spirit helps us with that. Believing rightly about Jesus. And then there's this righteousness. The Spirit helps us with what? Making the right choice at the right time with the right attitude and the right words. Do we get it right every time? Of course not. But the Spirit is our advocate. He's our counselor. Here's a picture we should get, though, is over the course of time, there should be improvement in our responses. And what's the direction? Christ-likeness, fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 23 and 4, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So you say, that kind of stuff should be increasingly flowing out of our hearts in right living the longer we walk with Jesus. As his Spirit dwells in us, you can't change that yourself. That's why this whole series was put together. It's the role of the Spirit to bring this life, to bring this training to teach us how to live. So there's this sin, there's this righteousness. And listen to how Mark Buchanan put it. He's one of my favorite writers. Mark Buchanan put it this way. I think a chief sign of the presence and work of the Holy Spirit is extravagance. 
Where once we were wary, stingy, reluctant, we find ourselves big-hearted, spendthrift, daring. That cold, closed hand of calculation and suspicion, once gripping and tugging us, warms and loosens. Then miracle starts nudging us outward. We become simultaneously colorblind and bright-eyed, more discerning and less bigoted. We lose naivety, but gain compassion and will gladly spend ourselves and be spent for the kingdom of God. There's a lightness in our step, a steadiness on our feet. And if we don't dance more, at least we want to, we become extravagant. That's the work of the spirit in a human heart. And then thirdly, verse 11, the judgment. In regard to judgment, Jesus says, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Who is he referring to with the prince of this world? Who's that referring to? That's referring to Satan. That's another title for Satan, the devil. Now stands condemned. How? Because this is the Last Supper, and Jesus knows where this story goes, and here's his condemnation. Checkmate when I roll the stone away in a few days. Checkmate. You're done. I win. You lose. Timer set. You know, end of the story's written. Look at Revelation 19, 20, 21. That's what he's referring to. Hey, But the prince of this world thought he had checkmated on Jesus when he convinced the religious leaders and the Romans and everyone else to crucify him. And then Jesus said, no, I'm turning the tables on you. And this isn't the first time he brought up judgment. John 7, 24, here's where Jesus said, stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. (laughs) Good thing we don't struggle with that today. So here's what Jesus was put in the middle of that there was a group of religious leaders and the religious elite all around him who were convinced they had a PhD in judging correctly. They were the experts, big stack of books for it, flowing robes. They put on a little class over here. We'll teach you how to make right judgments. Come, judging others, class 101. Jesus walked into the center of that whole scene. And here's what he began to do. He began to expose how they had flipped the equation around because their judgment was what do you say? Stop judging by outward appearance. Here was the religious, the scribes, the Pharisees. They believed their metric for assessing someone's spiritual health was an outside-in metric. In other words, look a certain way, belong to a certain tribe, participate in certain traditions, and at the end of that, over the course of time, you'll become the kind of person that God approves. And Jesus had a word for all of them. He called it whitewashed tombs. That's what he said. Hey, You've got the, you, you got the outside of the cup all buffed up. The inside's a mess. So Jesus steps on the scene, and here's what? The Elanco work of the Spirit. Here's what he's saying. Hey, you get things straightened out on the inside, and then by definition, the outward behaviors are going to change. So Jesus comes and says, I'll make all things new in here. I'll give you a new heart, a new spirit, a new hope, a new destiny, new grace, new love. I'll change stuff in here. And by definition, your words are going to change. Your attitudes are going to change. Your priorities are going to be shifted around. This doesn't happen overnight. This is a changed and changing thing. Are you following me here? And Jesus says, make a right judgment. You've got it all mixed up. You're assessing someone's spiritual health, spiritual life, and righteousness based upon their outward appearance. Jesus says, look into the heart. See what you see in the heart. Do you see a spirit who's alive to God? Do you see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness? Do you see that pulsating in their veins? Make a right judgment. It's an inside-out type relationship. And now do you see why they put him on a cross? Because they concluded about Jesus. He didn't measure up. He wasn't above average enough for the religious leaders on the spiritual scale. 
He was too regular Joe. He was a carpenter's son. Remember the condescending comments they'd make? He grew up with, Mary and Mar- uh, with uh, Joseph and Mary in Nazareth of all places. And he made footstools and wood benches. What is this guy? And he hung out with the riffraff. He was helping those who were mostly forgotten and overlooked, the blind beggar and the adulterer and the ones who were sick and outcast. And Jesus was around them. And he talked about not being placed on a throne of royalty, but coming to serve. And he took up a basin of water and a towel and he washed feet. And they, he, wasn't, he wasn't above average in their eyes. He was way too low on the scale. He couldn't be Messiah enough for them. And he, then he, to top it all off, he rides into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. <laughs> and you see their conclusion? They didn't make a right judgment, did they? Their conclusion was what? What was the judgment of the religious leaders? Blasphemy. Crucify him. And the crowds gathered. And the sentence was given. And to Calvary he went. And his life was laid down. And Jesus knew this is how the story was going to go. And little did they know, in the midst of all their rebellion, they were playing right into the stream of God's sovereign plans and purposes. Because who ultimately had to be the one to sentence him to go? to his death. He knew it had to be the Romans. He knew Pontius Pilate would be involved because crucifixion was their primary mechanism of execution. The Jews' primary mechanism of execution was stoning. So he knew the Romans would be involved. He knew the Jews would be involved. And they stopped judging by outward appearance, make a right judgment. And his life was bringing a long co-work of the Spirit, pressing upon them. They didn't make the right judgment. They looked outside in and Jesus came on the scene to say, hey, I got a new way. I got a new way to live inside out. For you and me today, what does all that mean? Well, maybe some of us are struggling with the words that are coming out of our mouth lately. Do you ever have those moments in life where you kind of walk away from a conversation and go, man, I just would like to reel all those words back in and the way they were said, and I just want to take the last five minutes back and because you look, ah, or you made some decisions, ah, Here's the, here's the gift of grace and all of that, that we're not alone in that. The Spirit helps. He said, hey, I'll come make some things new in here. If you're frustrated with the outward behaviors, outward words, outward actions, attitudes, if you're, you're frustrated about that kind of stuff, don't focus on the outward stuff. Get stuff, invite the Spirit to get stuff set right in here. You get stuff flowing right in here, guess what's gonna eventually happen? The words, the attitude, the tone, the actions will begin to be shaped. Again, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time, but it's where we're gonna start. Don't start on the outside. Don't just start, I gotta go buy a brand new big Bible. I gotta get a bigger Bible. <laughs> I'm gonna get a bigger Bible. I'm gonna go to more church services. I'm gonna listen to more Christian radio. Those, all those things might be good things, but that's not gonna start. That's not gonna fix the stuff in here. What's gonna fix the stuff in here, right, is we get quiet, we get alone, we get on our knees, we get before God and we say, Spirit of a living God, fall fresh on me. Break through. Come, make things new in here. And the evidence of that will be the outward flow. You'll see those who are living in that stream. And so Jesus says, look at the long co-work of the Spirit in three areas. Sin, righteousness, judgment. Look at how the Spirit is a gift of grace that keeps pressing that upon us and says, hey, make a right conclusion about who Jesus is. 
You don't have to get wound up in the ways of the world. They're empty. Let me teach you how to live. A lot of people offering to teach you how to live. Let Jesus be the one to teach you how to live. True righteousness. And then judgment. Let's not flip the equation around outside in. Let's go Jesus way inside out. And so as we go to the communion table now, that's the table that's set for us. This is our kind of, the last 25, 30 minutes have been just, this is our time of examination. When we go to the tables, this is what the precursor is to the table where we pause and we say, hey Lord, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Am I going your way? Maybe there's some things that are out of bounds. You felt the spirit blow the whistle and throw the flag on some things. You know, that's the work of the spirit. You know, that's a gift of grace. Guilt, there's a healthy side to guilt. The healthy side to guilt is when we mess up, there's a conviction. Like, that's healthy. Now, there's an unhealthy side to it, but the healthy part is, it's dangerous if you get to the point where you're, you're way out of bounds and you don't, you're, there's no awareness of it. The fact that you're stirred up about something, and maybe this morning is the spirit bringing a conviction about something that you know has crossed some lines and gone out of bounds, and there's a, kind of that burning sense of the spirit, a long co-worker of the spirit pressing and saying, hey, get some stuff set right. Might as well do it right now as an approach to the table. Because the table says there's nothing you walked in here with that that price hasn't been paid for. Or maybe it's in the area of righteousness. Maybe there's some big decisions, choices, attitudes, something you're just like, I need you to teach me some things, Jesus. I need that guiding work of the spirit. I need that advocate sense. Or maybe it's judgment. Maybe it's you need to make some conclusions and maybe today you're recognizing, maybe I've been making some wrong conclusions about some things and I need Jesus to help me make some right conclusions. And no better way in the preparation than for the table. So you don't need to be a member of Eagle to participate in communion here. The way we do it around here is in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And then you can go by yourselves. You can go as family, go as a group of friends, go to the table, spread out all around the room, pray together, use this time and space as you see fit. Uh, the one thing we do ask is that you come to, ta- come to the table as a follower of Jesus. And if you're not sure where you stand on that, it's just best to stay in your seat and sort that out before you go to the table. And so I'm gonna pray for us and maybe today's your day. Maybe today is your first communion. You came and you're gonna give your heart to Christ, go take communion, hallelujah. That's an amazing communion moment. These benches and prayer areas up here for you. Uh, This may be a time and a space you need to just pray through some stuff from maybe the series, maybe the message this morning, maybe something else going on in your heart. Space for you to pray by yourself, pray with others. And if you have a physical illness and you'd like us to anoint you with oil, we believe Jesus still heals today. And when we go to the table, we know he's purchased our spiritual wholeness, but as Isaiah 53 says, our physical wholeness as well by his stripes. Our bodies are made whole as well. And so if you would like someone to pray for you physically, you come, we'll anoint you with oil and pray for you as you go to the table. Let's pray. Jesus, we marvel at your teaching. We marvel at the gift of grace when you ascended and sent the spirit. Thank you that you didn't leave us alone. Thank you for the advocate, the helper, the counselor. Thank you, thank you. In regard to sin and righteousness and judgment, we just invite you now, spirit of God, compelling and convincing work. Press it upon our hearts. Have your way with us. We go to the tables remembering your broken body and your shed blood. And we do it as an act of worship in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.